Hi, I'm Stephen Crofty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm with someone today who's had many years, a couple of decades even, of experience, designer Chris Connell, who for MAP in uh, 88 with Raoul C. Hogg, and the duo have gone on to do some interesting things together, and Chris has also worked independently as an interior designer. We were talking earlier about your first foray into interior design. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Chris, you were mentioning that you started interior design at RMIT in the late 70s, but it wasn't quite what you thought it would be. Correct. Um, yes, uh, interior design then, I had to... Uh learn how to type and uh, that was frustrating because um, the girl next sat next to me typed like a million miles an hour and I could just you know one key at a time so and I was always wondering the whole year why do I need to type and uh, we also had to learn how to uh, measure curtain drops and the length of you know, fabric etc and I thought this is more like decorating than interior design I actually wanted to create start creating things I was quite good at drafting you know with, with a uh, pen and ink mm-hmm. and uh, paper and drawing board no computers and I quite enjoyed that because there was some level of, of creativity yeah. there. But uh, one year and that was it for me. Well, I think the design industry has benefited quite well from um, you deciding to pursue interior design. But an interesting career. I think we were talking earlier about the 80s when you were starting up and it seemed to be a time when designers could actually make a mark. Why do you think that was? Um, look... I suppose there wasn't, I mean, for me, I just did it. I just went out and did it because I, I, I didn't want to work for anybody. Um, and I was my own sort of boss. And I was doing odd jobs around anyway by myself. So, you know, I was doing, working at, uh, at photographic studios, doing f- backdrops and faux marbling and whatever I could do. And um, I suppose I decided then that, you know, I want to set up and do my own sort of business. And there was no real competition as such. Before the cafe culture days in a sense yeah well yeah uh cafe cucina when you say cafe culture yeah. i mean cafe cucina i suppose i would think was the the re the renaissance of cafe culture in melbourne i mean there was cafe culture many years in the 50s yeah. private in melbourne but i think uh, cafe cucina was almost one of the starting sort of in chapel street in south chapel yeah. street yeah south yeah um, that was my first sort of commercial job um and how did you learn that chris um well I had, my office was over the road at the mm. time and befriended Morris Tazzini, who's, you know, gone and, and opened up many places around mm-hmm. Australia. Um, and we got talking and he wanted something Italian. It needed to be sort of classic and whatever. And I said, look, I can do that. We had a budget of $15,000 then. Pretty good. Big money. And um, the kitchen was already there. And that was probably my first job. And I, having done that, I mean, I remember working on the project and I asked someone to actually stay in the wood panelling and they just couldn't do it. So I said, look, leave it for me. I ended up doing it and get it right. I you know, remember screwing all the little brass screws around the, the sort of dado line and making sure all the slots were in the right position. And I think it's that was uh, enjoyable doing it. But I think the best thing I got out of the job, I remember when it first opened, his mother sat down and said, it feels like it's been here for 20, 30 years. And I went, great. I've sort of I've met the the brief, so to speak. Well, the interesting thing is it's still there today. Yep. It hasn't been changed. It's been a few little tweaks, but... But generally, it's still, as is, yeah. at the, the, it's still fairly intact. Yeah. And at $15,000, mm. it was good value for good money. Value. Yeah, I totally agree. 
things have probably picked up a lot more and your budgets hopefully have increased by then but you've just done a wonderful bar a cafe bar in Flinders Street called Dukes yep. and a wonderful project tell me a little bit about it because it kind of reminds me of what cafes could be in Melbourne rather than what a lot of them are yeah oh, look, uh, Dukes is look it's just it's not just me is it it's not just a design it's also a passion that the um, the owner um, that I suppose evokes in the place too. I mean, he has a great passion for making good coffee, attention to detail, and he came to me and we've already worked on a project before and he understood my passion for detail as well. And I think this this space, it's a small space. It's only about 60 square metres. Yeah, 60 square metres. I mean, it, it was so suited. In an old building, he wanted something quite classic again. The brief was very you know, similar to, you know, Cafe Cucina, wanting something quite classic. I didn't want to sort of you know, reinvent the wheel here. Yeah. Um, I took on his brief, I mean, and understanding what he's about in the sense of making good product, uh, supplying good product to his clients, I wanted to be part of that story. So we we kept the palette quite simple. We kept the materials um, 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 restrained. I mean, it was all recycled um, timber. timber that we used, and that was part of the... And even the flooring was recycled. Floorings, <laughs> recycled tiles. Um, so... It was, it was a hands-on, almost artisan sort of approach. We had a really good tiler. We had a fantastic uh, carp, uh, carpenter joiners mm -hmm. who did all the, all the, um, the joinery for the bars and all the wall panelling. That was, you know, We had a tool specially made to, to route out the new shape, the profile, which I designed. Um, some parts the machine couldn't even do, and they had to be actually hand-chiseled and, and crafted around the bar. So we pushed them. They sort of complained, but it, at the end, they once we each step that we achieved, they sort of sort of patted themselves on the back, and they were we actually quite proud mm -hmm. that they actually were part of that. And I think that's sort of um, very hard to find now. Yeah. Um, finding a client that has the passion, find the team that wants to do a good job. Yeah. Uh, whereas everybody wants to get in there, but we've got to pay rent. Let's get open next week. Let's just laminate. Let's sandblast blast the walls, just paint white, you know, whatever it is. Exposed it's, light bulbs. Yeah, it's, it's a formula out there now, but I think I was very fortunate I had someone who wanted to do something different. And, you know, already, I mean, the well, it's feedback... Got, it, it, it's successful as a, as a business, which is great, and I, it's, I'm proud of that. But I've provided a vehicle for, for him, you know, so I, I don't think it's just the interior. The interior is part of the whole package, and... And I think that's how I approach my, most of my jobs. That you know, I'm just offering a, an alternative, a solution to someone else's so, brief. Yeah, brief, and you know, it's not the yeah. be in and end all. Um, definitely, worth for people who don't know about it, it's called Jukes, and it's in Ross House, yeah. and definitely worth a visit. And you can tell by the well, the people who are coming there, the queues. People are wanting a more sophisticated space yeah. to go into, even if it's a quick coffee to stay five minutes. They want something. Coffee's that, not cheap now. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you're paying, you know, top yeah. dollar for coffee here. So you want to be in a good environment, clean, people that know the product, how to make yeah. the product. You know, we, we designed the coffee cups. The graphics. The coffee cups themselves for yeah. the um, the ceramic and uh, had someone local to, to manufacture them. So all that sort of right down to that sort of level of detail... Um, is quite important, so um, especially for me too that I was given that opportunity. It's almost a, quite a forties feel. Yeah, I think yeah. it has. It's got a, almost yeah. I think yeah. it feels a sort of forties, sort of late forties feel. I quite like it. It's, it's almost it's paired. It's restrained. It's um, 
And I think you mentioned, and it kind of resonated with me, some of the designers who come to mind are people like Zureff, Shulam Krimper, yeah. who did really fine uh, cabinetry work mm. in the thirty, yeah. in the 40s and 50s. Exactly. And I believe that that whole artisan sort of thing, unfortunately, has, has uh, dis- mm. disappeared. I mean, there's a few people scratching around, but um, it's with the sort of... Quick nature, quick of nature of everything now, and the import of you know, unfortunately, sort of replicas and yeah. and the like and whatever. People just want instant. Yeah. That's beautiful. I definitely think you should go. Everyone who's listening should go and have a look because it's and the coffee's great, but it's also um, it's just a wonderful interior. Thank the you. other thing that's uh, interesting is you did a seventies house a few years ago in um, Glen Waverley. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a quite an interesting project. It was originally a seventies. A brick sort of L-shaped sort of brick house that was there, and the client wanted me to do as a, a design to 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 renovate it, redesign, renovate, whatever. We did the, the we did the design, and when we got the um, the budget in or the quote in, the builder said, "Look, for what you're spending here, you might as well pull it down and start yeah. again." And fortunately, the client um, obviously could afford to do that, and decided we told me said, "Let's pull it down and design something." So I redesigned a new house. Yeah. In the using footprint. in the footprint using the exact footprint of the slab a to yeah. minimize cost the swimming pool we turned into a storage tank water tank yeah. uh, there was two fantastic 1970s art pieces there was a sort of a three panel sort of uh, quite yeah. reliefed uh, stained glass window do you know uh, who it was by have no there's a name I, I can't yeah. uh, very hard to find um, and there was also a, uh, a, co- a concrete sort of release sculpture as well. So we kept the wall that the concrete le- release sculpture was on. The stained glass we took away and stored. Yeah. And then when we redesigned it and, and rebuilt the new uh, house, we put the stained glass exactly where it was positioned, facing sort of northwest. So it, it illuminates beautifully. Chris, did, did you keep the floor plan loosely the same or completely new? No, it's mm. almost, yeah, the, the the living's areas are roughly where it was. The, the bedrooms were down this other sort of wing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in sort of principle, but obviously completely sort of... And why why did you have to pull it down if there's too much going... The builders have said, look, you can spend this much money, why not just build a new building? Mm. And also the ceiling spaces were low. Yeah. All the brickwork was ghastly, sort of, I can't even remember, the brown, sort of yeah. horrible brick, and to render it was going to cost a fortune. All, it had a lot of issues. N- issues. So, uh, fortunately, the client sort of embellished, uh, embraced our yeah. the idea, and, and we went for it. You also, from memory, um, you worked on a very significant Guildford Bell House down at Lawn. Yeah, yeah. It was a beautiful house. Yeah, yeah uh, that's fantastic. I remember going there thinking... You know, no one should be allowed to go near this house. <laughs> uh, I was quite determined. So I was kind of, when I was, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw it, how sensitively you treated that Guildford Bell house because I thought it didn't need anything originally. And then when I did see what you had done, I thought that was a very fine yeah. overlay. How difficult is it working with a very significant house like a Guildford Bell? Well, it was, um, look, it, it's a classic. I mean, it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, um, there was obviously areas there like the bathrooms and the kitchen that were unfortunately sort of a bit antiquated mm-hmm. and weren't up to the, the level of what the new owners, mm-hmm. you know, with kids and stuff like that, managed. So um, we kept everything. The interior, the architecture has not changed. The interior wall panelling, ceiling, all, all that. So we kept everything pretty much the same. The only areas we did change were the bathrooms, kept them exactly where they were, stripped, stripped out the old... Um, 
uh, bathrooms, and when we found out uh, when we were stripping out the walls, we, uh, we could see the the um, the timber structure behind, you know, all the mm. stud work and, and whatever, and realised it was actually built as a kit home. So not as mm. we we say kit homes, but it was built outside lawn and brought Probably. down in panels because you saw one stud work frame with a, a letter on it or a number, mm. and it had a matching one painted next to it. So they they obviously mm. built it as frames out of, in Melbourne, brought it down to obviously minimise um, costs down there and possibly just speed, who, who knows. But it was interesting to find this. We took photographs of for reference. Um, we were able to go to the State Library and, and view the actual hand-drawn drawings with gloves on and everything like that so we could actually view the existing, uh, the original drawings and, and we were able to get copies of that. Um, when you're working on something like a Guildford Battle or something significant, do you get quite anxious about it or...? No, no, I just had to... It was a fantastic place. You just have yeah. to respect what's there, and whatever you do, don't make a mark. You know, yeah. my mark, I mean... I was, it's about the house. It's about the house, not it's about, about, about me. <laughs> yeah, so, obviously, the kitchen was too narrow and could not uh, accommodate new appliances because the bench was only, like, about 500 deep. Mm -hmm. So um, we moved one bench about 200 mil. The lining was... We made new... Uh, got new timber lining to match the existing it was all lime to match etc so you wouldn't know it had been done so yeah. it was quite a sort of you know really put the brakes on there so <laughs> um chris you also have another side to your um portfolio which is furniture and uh, object design yep. which has been and you made a mark fairly early with your peppy chair yeah now people who don't know the peppy chair it's in the museum of modern art in new york as mm. part of their permanent collection it's also a fascinating chair, and even though you only probably made a handful of those chairs, yeah. it did put you on the map. Yeah, yeah. To, to phrase it, <laughs> yeah. what was the what was the result? I mean, how did that come about, and what impact did that have on your career? Look, it's look. I love drawing. I mean, it's just one of those things. I, I just can't stop drawing. So I love I love drawing. So it's just the shape that I drew. No, no real reference. There was no brief there designed, mm. a, you know, high back sort of upholstered chair with four legs. It was, it just occurred. It remained. I made a little plasticine model of it, and I did, always had a movable to, back. With it, but the movable back actually, came, I never thought about the movable back until we actually went to production. But you know, we tried to find manufacturers to make it, and they also looked at it. And they were not interested. So I actually um, got a block of foam, got some tools, never carved anything in my life, and carved the actual shape which we then took to a um, mould maker. He fiberglassed it and made the mould, and then we went to someone that actually injects foam. Mm. And we made one with a steel frame in it, and we sat in it and got the back's a bit sort of upright and went back to the chair maker that we've been using, and he said, oh, we use these um, springs for sort of these office chairs. So let's weld cut that here and just weld that there. And, and you get a bit right. of a nice so all of a sudden we got back. this animation to to the the chair, which actually a lot of people surprised were surprised they thought it was just quite a stiff object. Yeah. And having sitting in it, they go, "Oh, this is a bit of fun." What year was that released? That was probably eighty ninety, probably ninety, late eighties, ninety, ninety, early nineties. Yeah. And how rare are they today? Uh, look, I, they'd be very rare at the moment. Yeah, I don't. There was twenty twenty five maybe made. Um, and allowing for some that have just got lost. And... Probably, oh, probably, I know there's one in in Europe, London travelling. I took it to Milan Fair once, and mm. I don't know, it, was, it got picked up and it went somewhere. Has <laughs> I mean, without sounding too commercial, has it um, reached the auction block? I don't know. I, I look, we actually sold a few in, into uh, United States. Mm. We sold. Um, 
it appeared on the st- uh, 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 a stamp here, Australian yeah. stamp as an image. I don't Would know. you ever release it, Chris? We've had inqu- it's it's odd. We've had inquiries over the years, and you think, well, we've still got the mould. We could easily sort of put out you know a limited edition, but I don't know. I haven't. You know, I always like to go forward and not backwards. So. But the funny thing is that that I mean, everyone's very... redoing everyone's redoing so many old classics now. Yeah. You know, we, we, like all the replicas. I mean, it's it's amazing these companies aren't producing new designers when there are new designs when there are so many mm. young designers in the world mm. that could be offering really great ideas instead of mm. redoing another Eames chair again. We've seen it. We've been there, done that. Let's, well, I like to move forward as well, but I think I look at the Pebby chair and I think it is quite futuristic. It's kind of amoeba shape. Well, and I'll I take think orders. <laughs> and I, I think it'd be a great release. Um, you've also, a, a new product is called the Ponty chair, yeah. which is something that's come up a wicker back and yeah. uh, very finely detailed. What was the story behind that? Um, uh, look, when we're designing things, I mean, you're manufacturing things, you always like to pare things back as possible. How How fine can you go? How light can you go? How strong can it remain? Is this as light as the Gia Ponte chair? No, no, not as light. No, I mean I've got I've got a classic at home, and it's, you can pick it up with a little finger. It's it's amazing, yeah. and I just don't think we have the artisans here to actually produce something like that. So it's it's inspired by that sort of feeling of lightness and and um, principles, I suppose. The other thing I'm uh, looking at is the um, you're doing concept for bowls. Yeah. How did that start? Nothing. Once again, like, because I'm dra- drawing all the time, I don't. I don't really set a, a pattern in my day. So let, now I'm going to draw bowls today. I'm going to draw mm. design a chair. Or I'm going to design a house or interior or whatever. Yeah. I, I'm always constantly sort of working on a few things at the one time. If, I, if I, I may stop halfway through a project and just scribble something down, or I'm drawing something and I go, that line actually inspires me. Oh, well, I want to just keep going here. And I think that's what I've. You know, sometimes you know. Few times I've been able to lecture at RMIT with interior design students, and always try to encourage them to draw, even how lousy you may be. Just get what the idea. What does that allow you? Just the freedom. Just the freedom. It's just you know because you can draw it on computer, but a straight line will always be a straight line. But if you hand draw it, it just may have that little subtle bend in it that may conjure up another sort of idea. Idea, or you go, actually, that looks better than the straight line. So these are just things, objects that I've just quickly drawn up. I've had uh, Victor who does. Um, some uh, some of the CGI's for me, so we render them up, and it's an idea at the moment that's open for discussion. I'm going to get them made as prototypes. If if they move further than that, great. If they don't, so well, at least they've... one's made of cork and the other's marble. Marble, yeah. So, so it's the same them together. So you can place them together, but you've got this massive, you know, you've got this really heavy object. But you've also got this light object doing the same thing, housing fruit, but um, different ways, different ways and, and and different materials. So. The other thing I was going to ask, Chris, because you have your own showroom in St Kilda Road, yeah. you can literally create things that you're interested in doing. You don't have to uh, approach other retailers. Is well, that... it's like a, um, if an it's artist like a... had his own gallery, you know. It doesn't have to go approach a gallery to see if my art's good enough to hang there. I mean, I'll hang whatever I want when I want, you know. So it's, it can showcase my work to myself, but also to others that may see it or want to come in. So... Um, I've noticed you're doing um, some new lights as well. I've designed this uh, new uh, lamp with um, uh, a a friend of mine and also an industrial designer, Victor Legan. And um, it's just one of those ideas. We were sitting around having a drink. I had my iPad out and we were talking about doing a lamp. And I said, oh, what about this? And all of a sudden we just 
the scribble became sort of a, an idea and and then the idea became sort of you know we sort of we've made a um a prototype now we've got a few prototypes and it's almost ready to go to production so it's once again i, I like the spontane spontaneity of, of design and creativity um do you tend to go slow on these things to start with and say look let's do a limited run or do you well, tend to think I'm well, going to have to do X amount? To no, look, we're we're trying to look. We'll probably do a small run just to get get it out there in the marketplace, mm -hmm. and engage the marketplace. And if it's successful, obviously we'll put in a bigger order and and hopefully move it. Yeah. You know. And sell it just through your gallery or through um, retail. We may sell it online. We may sell sell through a map, or we may sell it through you know a couple of the companies, the stores in Melbourne, and hopefully around Australia. Mm. Um, I think the idea is good enough to sort of give it, you know, it's got legs to sort of, you know, give it to a, possibly, you know, an overseas manuf lighting manufacturer and see if they'd be interested in it. But um, we're doing what we can with what we have, you know. What do you find the most challenging thing about producing in Australia, particularly furniture? Um, I think you mentioned years ago when I interviewed you, you said, look, getting just interesting parts. <laughs> look, the quality is really... Uh, look, uh, Unfortunately, everyone's out there sort of based everything on is the dollar. I mean, it, and I think quality, getting quality, you shouldn't, I mean, you can pay someone X and get something made well. So if the talents aren't there, the skills aren't there anymore. So it's very hard to find someone to make something that as good as you expect it should be. So do you tend to find you're simplifying all the time so you can make it possible? Simplifying is even harder because if you keep it, simple you'll see any mistakes so yeah. it needs to be made even better again so um i think the manufacturing is very difficult now i mean there's no incentive here it's the cost of manufacturing the cost of uh, uh, labor cost of materials i mean we don't have help that the, the manufacturers here don't have help mm. from the big people you know yeah. the, the governments to sort of we're all just importing or getting it made overseas a lot of the machinery that australia used to have yeah. is in china you know, we've sold it over there. They're all making it. So how, do you see a time that you'll have to start manufacturing overseas? Yes, I mean, some of these things. I mean, the the chair, hopefully I can make here still, but it'll, it'll yeah. make it, you know, I could make that chair here for X and, and um, you know, what I'm making it, people are selling a timber chair for that. So it's, it, people, it's devalued now. Everyone yeah. thinks a timber chair should be, you know, $200. Yeah, you know, it's not. I can't ask $800. I'll ask $800, $900, and people are yeah. going to look at me and go, It's a timber chair. It's a timber chair, you know. Yeah. So um, it's educating people that, you know, good design doesn't always have to be expensive, but if you want something made well here, you're going to, it's going to cost. And, Chris, on a closing note, did you ever learn to type? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Um, look, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you uh, in the studio today, Chris. I've Thank been you. following your work for many years, Thanks. and you always come up with wonderful surprises. And I think it's still interesting how you manage to cross so many different design areas. I mean, you've had your own art shows, mm. you've had furniture. Well, it's a passion. I mean, it's a passion. It's a drive. I mean, yeah. I, I told some students not long ago. So, if you want to do interior design to make money, don't. You know, if you want to design, if you want to do it because you love it, then Go do ahead. it. Go ahead. It's not about your rock star stardom and and money. There's very few that make that sort of that sort of um go that uh, level in uh, in the industry. But if you buy passionate, being passionate. I mean, I buy a product because it looks great. I don't look at who designed it. I buy 
I love that chair because I love that chair. And then you might find out it's designed by, and I think we're, we're geared the other way around now. It needs to be designed by someone to appreciate it yeah, or to have sad. it. You know, it's, 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 it's gone well, I think there's way. I think there's been a general move to looking at things first. Yeah. I would like to think that's the direction. Oh, I would hope to too, really. But look, thanks so much for coming in. My no, pleasure. You've been with Stephen Crafty presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening.